This is Another Bottle Down on Co-op Radio, KOOP Hornsby, Austin, 91.7 FM, and KOOP.org. I'm your host, Mark Rayshap, here to appreciate wines from all over the world and to talk with Austin's leading wine professionals, from winemaker to sommelier and everyone in between. Now it's time to put another bottle down. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in, folks. It is 103 in the capital city, and I hope everybody is having a wonderful time out there, enjoying the cold weather uh, and getting ready for the holidays. We have a wonderful uh, string of holidays coming up, uh, holidays for the wine lover. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, we are joined in the studio by oh, a huge group of wine professionals, notable uh, Austin wine personalities. And we're going to be talking about those wines that are the gift-giving wines and all also, how does wine, Texas wine, stack up as far as those collectible uh, little gifts? And so uh, we're going to be talking Texas versus the world. So uh, thanks to Daniel Collada and the Texas Wine Journal, uh, who we've put together some of the top scoring Texas wines throughout the year, and we put them up blind, uh, and we're going to see how my guests do. So uh, stay tuned. We're going to hear a little bit more music and be right back. Thank you so much for tuning in and thank you for joining us. And this has been a wonderful year. We've tasted some really great wines and we've talked about wines from all over the world. And we've really tried to cover the the Texas beat and um, and feature some of the the wines that do really well at Texas versus uh, with the Texas Wine Journal. You can find information at texaswinejournal.org. Um, and we featured Texas versus the world several times where we take a Texas wine and we put it up against wines from around the world. And this is going to be our holiday edition. Uh, but let me first introduce my guests. I'm joined by Ron Weiss, who is uh, godfather of Austin, right? And, uh, <laughs> uh, and he was the creator of um, Jeffries and Cipollina. It's a real honor to have you. Thank you for being here, Ron. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and, and uh, Jesse Brantley with uh, Republic National, one of the distributors in town. Thank you, Jesse, for being here. Thank you for Say having hello. me. Say hello, yeah. <laughs> and Chris Howell and, uh, and Shannon Dixon, which are uh, also with Republic. Thank you guys for being here. And you, uh, Republic has a, a developed Texas wine uh, section, and, and Shannon, you deal a lot with that, right? Thank you for being here, guys. Thanks. <laughs> All right, and, and, uh, and in the red corner, we have uh, the, Gla- the Glaciers team. Uh, we have um, Moxie Castro League and John Gerber. Guys, thank you for being here. John, you've been on the show before, talking restaurants and, 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 and wines from all over the world. And Moxie, it's an honor to have you in the studio. So uh, come on into the mic and say hello. Hello. <laughs> well, I, Happy holidays. It's great to be back. Yeah, thanks, John. So I'd like to kind of start out by just, um, you know, I think that a lot of people are out there and they're they're shopping for wine right now and they're trying to decide, oh, what wines to give as gifts, what wines to, um, you know, to, to celebrate these meals that are with family. And, I, and I'd like to just go around and say, you know, what are some of your, your favorite wines to enjoy during these holiday celebrations? And, um, and, and, you know, and how does that work with the food? Do you do have any traditions, any stories? So maybe, Ron, you can start us off. Sure. My preferences for the holidays are uh, wines from the Rioja, which is Tempranillo, Sangiovese from Chianti, Chianti Classico, um, 
I, I think, you know, I've had a preference for European wines, but I'm coming around to Texas wines. I think, you know, some of the newer wineries are doing an excellent job. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, as we've seen, uh, so to set the stage a little bit, we have tasted uh, blind. All of my guests do not know what wines that they tasted. We're just numbered one through five. Uh, And we have two Texas wines thrown in with three additional wines from around the world. Uh, And you can see what those wines are if you go to the co-op blog, koop.org slash blog. Uh, There's a picture of all the wines. So we're going to see how the Texas wines match up. Um, Jesse, what do you, what do holidays and wine mean for you? Well, coming up with Christmas, you definitely need to throw some bubbles in there. And I've really been enjoying some sparklings from the Loire Valley. Um, and also as far as reds go, I've been really digging the Beaujolais crew. Um, you can't go wrong with, you know, a nice Louis Jadot Milan Avant or something like that. I find that they're crowd pleasers, but they also offer a little bit for everyone because there's some depth of flavor there. Yeah. That's yeah. what I'll be bringing. All right. Crew Beaujolais, pretty versatile at the table, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Chris, what do you think of holiday wines and, and what do you like to serve? Uh, I'm going to have to second Jesse with uh, bubbles. Uh, I, I, there's always a time for pink bubbles, especially this time of year. It just really makes everything feel a lot more festive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nebbiolo for me is, you know, if I'm looking for uh, something with a little depth, uh, it's very versatile. Uh, it goes great with everything from roasts to poultry. Uh, yeah. I'm a big fan from Declassified all the way up to Barbaresco. Uh, yeah. I love Nebbiolo, yeah. I think <laughs> I'm seeing smiles in the uh, in the studio. So, <laughs> Shannon, what what um, you know? We, we don't know each other, and it's a pleasure to meet you. Yeah, and it's pleasure my first to have you here. here. And um, so, what, what did the holidays mean for you? Um, there's a common theme here: bubbles, okay. <laughs> champagne. I can't get enough of it every day. Cool. Um, and I've been drinking a lot of uh, Barberas lately with the holiday food. I love love it with turkey. I All love right. It with ham. Excellent. I, 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 poor man's Nebbiolo. So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so we're, 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 we're two checks in the Piedmont category, right? <laughs> Moxie, what, what um, you know, can we get your opinions on this and uh, where you're coming at it? Well, uh, during the holidays, um, I drink any bubbles people bring, any Nebbiolo yeah. people bring for sure. My <laughs> dog's name's Brolo, so. Um, but for me, it's about white wine because uh, we drink wine all the time. Yeah. And uh, for me, it's Alsace and whites from Alto Adige. Um, Friuli whites, Colio whites, um, and, and all sauce, all sauce, all sauce. So, um, I feel like those whites go, uh, with everything at the yeah. table and we sometimes forget because there's so much red around the table. They're fresh. They go with everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. they clean the palate for the next thing, which we know we're going to take the next course for sure. Right. Right. And, and, uh, oh, I just love all sauce and it's, it's, I feel like, uh, an underrepresented category here in, in Texas and maybe the U S right. Why, why do you see, I mean, you see a, a good broad scro- scope of, uh, of, of things. Is, is Alsace not getting its, its uh, spotlight that it deserves? I don't know. For me, I feel like once you go, you don't go back. So I feel like you just have to get introduced to it. So if you're out there listening and you've only dug into Alsace a little bit, you know, go to your favorite store and ask somebody who knows and yeah. just have them turn, turn you on to something. Once you taste a Grand Cru from the Alsace, which is not that expensive, uh, you're in like Flynn. So right. I just feel like it's being introduced. It's a small place. Small and place, And once you yeah. get turned on to it. Your kind of your palate just opens up, and uh, you know it's great with pork, it's great with meats, it's great with yeah. fish, it's great with air. It's and great. opulence of too. I mean, these are whites that have such opulence, and and that's what I love about them. Yeah. Yeah, they're easy to get into. It can be like an armchair. Just get in there. <laughs> and it embraces you. It takes you. It takes you uh, and, and gives you a hug. John, uh, can you top us off here? Well, I think uh, we're all in agreement that uh, it's a great time to try those uh, higher acid wines, which yeah. goes with the array of food that you're going to find. So I like Sancerre's. 
I do like bubbles, of course, and I think it's a great time to break out some of those large format bottles that you've Ooh. been hoarding over the years. So yes. you show up at a party with a couple of those and you win. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> you know, I, I, it's always baffled me as to why Magnums in larger bottles are not, are not uh, bigger around the holiday time. I mean, uh, maybe people are too afraid to commit, but I mean, walking into a, a party with a, with, a, with a Magnum or a double Magnum is definitely the way to go. I'm, I'm with you there. <laughs> So, um, shall we talk a little bit of Texas wine? Um, so, you know, the, the, the Texas Wine Journal has been um, uh, rating wines pretty much every month, and, and there's a panel, and, and many of you are uh, on the panel. And, um, and so, uh, basically, you know, Ron, can you kind of dis- describe what, what one of these panel tastings look like? And, um, you know, I guess that there's, we should preface that there's a one variety that, or, or a blend uh, that is chosen, and then how does the rest go down? Well, it's a challenge. Um, I think we've had as many as 30 or more than 30 wines at a time. <laughs> so that's, um, you know, you, you have to um, really stay focused because it's easy to get palate fatigue, you know, by the end and, and not give everything a fair shake. But right. uh, I, I do have to say again that I've been really impressed with some of the wines that are being produced in Texas. I know if you go out and buy some, you might be surprised at the price of some of them because they are more expensive but i think that you know some of the new wineries have such a large investment that they at least at this early point in the game they have to charge more money but i think it's it's worth spending the money and supporting the texas wine and so when you're tasting um these wines i mean you're you're really trying to and, and the feedback goes back to the producer um and so you know it's it's really an important and, and guys you can jump in as well i mean you know it, it's an important thing to 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 really be very very arbitrary and and fair in your judgment and not make sure that the oh this was the first wine i tasted so it tastes differently than than a wine that falls later in the flight right yeah I- I would add that I think the Texas wine industry owes Daniel a lot. The Texas Wine Journal, what he's doing is to promote Texas wines is a fantastic thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, so so let's jump in here, guys. And um, we tasted uh, five wines blind out in, they were all in decanters. And you can see pictures I'm going to post on uh, facebook.com slash another bottle down radio. Uh, and go to the co-op blog, koop.org slash blog, and you can see the wines that we tasted. Um, you know, so we put one, two Texas wines up against two European wines, some more old world, and one uh, wine from uh, Washington State. Um, did if we talk broad brushstrokes, did these wines show? Like, was it very obvious what wines were from uh, the old world uh, versus what wines were from the new world? What, what do you think, Jesse? Broad brushstrokes. It was not super evident to me which ones were new world and old world. Um, breaking down the structure and the condition of the fruit, I definitely came to some guesses, but they were all well made. There were some little clues here and there that kind of tipped me off to where they may have come from, but it, you really had to pay attention to both the structure and the fruit quality to really try and figure out where these wines were coming from. Yeah. What did you guys think? Was it Did, did these things jump out to you? Because um, I feel like there's a lot of discussion around new world, old world, and maybe those lines are blending, uh, are, are kind of blurring right now. Um, and then the real question is, is where does Texas fit into that group? Well, I'm not going to lie. I put a lot of question marks on my page. <laughs> okay. Um, but I also did feel like I have a grasp on which the Texas wines were. 
Yeah. Okay. And All right. The old world well, we shall tour. see. <laughs> um, John, maybe you want to start us off by talking about your impressions of the first wine. What 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 stood out? Was it, you know, was it something that was, uh, you know, tasty for you? And then um, uh, I yeah, thought it, I thought it was delicious. I got uh, notes of cedar right off the bat, um, and a lot of uh, black pepper. Yeah. Um, that was the nose and on the palate I've came up with some lavender uh, and more pepper and then I went back and revisited after I was done and I noticed a note of note of a, kind of a caramel started to appear uh, yeah. after it opened up a little bit but oh, very I, think, cool. I think a common theme in everything I tried today was uh, really firm tannins yeah. which I uh, absolutely love so yeah so that uh, the it, bold it, it's a tough call I think I know which ones are Texas but I don't know. We'll see. So, uh, and, and Christian, what were your impressions of this first wine? And I, I love that spice box. What, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry, Moxie. Um, our, our, Alter ego. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so you say you're not going to do something, and then, of course, it comes out. <laughs> well, this, you know, and, and I feel like spice, spicy wines, and we're talking about, you know, what you mentioned, this black pepper and this, you know, sage and, and maybe green savory spice notes are perfect for holiday wines, right? Indeed. Um, yeah. Moxie, what, what were your impressions? Uh, yeah, I thought that the wine was, was definitely driven by the fruit and the kind of caramelization that... Um, John talks about, um, you know, the color kind of led to this kind of being driven by the fruit also when you take a, a look at the what's in the glass uh, visually as well. So more of a purplish hue, is that what? what kind what, of a, a red, um, but kind of dominated by by more uh, either young or fruitful flavors right. or, or, or um, ripe. Right, ripe flavors. Yeah. Okay. Young, ripe flavors. Um, but I think, too, one of the main things when you talk about Texas wine versus world wines, especially is, you know, Ron brought it up, is, is cost. And when we as professionals taste wine, we taste it differently and we speak a different lexicon. Right. And I think that that's the beauty of what we're doing today is we're talking to people who uh, have every every uh, variation of uh, professional experience. And then out there in the radio waves, like right. the idea of what a wine is 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 well made has to do with who you're bringing it to and the price value ratio and right. not just... Um, the, the flavor, there's there's so many different reasons why you buy a wine and, and why you would buy a Texas wine versus an Old World wine. Right. And I think cost is one of those major factors for people. So, and here at Nonprofit Radio, we are not allowed to tie a, um, a price to an actual uh, particular wine. I and mean, we're, we're talking in broad brushstrokes here, which is which is great. Um, but if you want to see uh, the prices of the actual, more information on, on, the, on the wines, uh, you can go to coop.org slash blog to see kind of all of those information. So just to uh, to preface our listeners out there, you will not hear a discussion around price uh, here. Um, what, 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 you guys, the first wine, what, Chris, what, what were your impressions? Uh, I thought it was delicious. Uh, lots of black and red fruit, I think I was finding on both, uh, but definitely on the riper side, the riper quality. Yeah. Uh, the tannins, while being firm, were on the finer side, uh, well integrated. Yeah. Uh, There's a nice body to it. Uh, upon revisiting, I, I did notice. Uh, alcohol, there's probably a little weight to it, and uh, it was definitely a, from a riper region. Right. Okay. So, so that the, the fact that there were ripe fruits and uh, a little bit of a higher alcohol might direct you into the new world. Um, is this a pick for your your Texas one of your Texas wines? I wouldn't think it to be, but I, I've been surprised before. The varietals that are in my head didn't seem uh, out of context here in Texas. Right. And then some of my favorite Texas wines are from those varietals. But sure. Uh, cool. Yeah, Shannon, what what were your what what struck you about this wine? Um, this one was very concentrated, um, but also soft. Yeah. I kept kind of going back and forth between old world and new world, which leads me to believe now that it is from Willamette. 
Okay. All right. Okay. So, um, and that's the fun, the fun of, of blind tasting is you can, you're awash with all of these, you know, uh, um, memories and, and all of these things that play into, into your bank of, uh, fun wine experiences, right? Jesse, what, what, what did you think here? This wine definitely took me to the new world with the sort of ripe to baked quality. I did find some blackberry, black cherry, and an almost brambly note to it. Um, just a little bit of coffee. You know, my, my wife makes fun of me for saying bramble, brambly, brambly fruit. I, and when people <laughs> ask me that, it, what, the way I like to describe it is yeah. sticking your head inside of a blackberry bush because you get right. the fruit, but you also get that greenness and the, the green stemmy notes yeah. also. So I really only find it a couple of places. Um, the varieties that jumped out to me were Maybe Malbec or Merlot, okay. which don't necessarily make me think of Texas, but it being New World, you know, it might be. But it was very concentrated and it felt very balanced. It was yeah. big in alcohol, but it didn't seem overwhelming. I cool. enjoyed it. All right, great. Ron, you want to top us off here for number one? Seemed a little bit lighter and in color and a little clearer than some of the other wines. But I think I arrived a little earlier and... You had more time. I think this is a perfect example of when you open a wine and you first taste it, and there might be some slight off flavors or odors to give it some time because to me, this wine initially tasted a little bit oxidized, but I went back and tried it again and all of that was gone and it was yeah. excellent. Yeah, so a good, um, a good, a good uh, argument for decanting wines, right? I mean, do you guys, when I think of you know big flavorful holiday wines, they often need a splash in the decanter, right? Are you guys decanter proponents or aerator proponents? That is a question that I always get emailed around this time of year. You know, do those aerators do anything? I like to aerate <laughs> into the decanter and give it a good uh, a good shake, and you can put it back in the bottle and, and repeat that a couple times. You are times a wild man, Gerber. Yeah, you don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but do you get anybody have any strong feelings on uh, aerating? I like to aerate into the glass uh, okay. and then into my mouth because <laughs> uh, maybe the rest of the bottle can go in the decanter. Yes. But. <laughs> Okay, we are, all, we are all in agreement with that. You've heard it here, folks, on Another Bottle Down. If you're just tuning in, I'm here with Ron Weiss, Jesse Brantley, Chris Howell, Shannon Dixon, and um, Moxie Castroleague and John Gerber, all really notable, notable wine professionals here in the Austin area. Uh, let's talk about wine number two, and then we'll, kind of, then we'll take a short break. Um, Moxie, you want to start us off by talking about wine number two? <laughs> uh, I have to say that... It, um I arrived late to the tasting, so I... Only, you did go very fast. Yeah, I tasted through this wine uh, just once. So uh, there was an interesting color, uh, the notes that I took on, on the wine, and um, there were some very interesting flavors that came up in the wine uh, that, mm. that uh, remind me of the old world on first pass. Um, but I have interesting, interesting is always an interesting describer <laughs> of wine, right? <laughs> yes, uh, those are non-technical terms, but um, that's kind of the curiosity of when you first taste, yeah. you, you try to put it in a category or a place where you've heard it or tasted it before. So uh, the color of the wine was the first... Uh, point of interest for me that it kind of went towards uh, kind of a, a maybe a lighter thin-skinned grape hue mm -hmm. uh, which made me think you know is it something that is um, in that family or category yeah uh, and could be something that grows in Texas maybe in the, the, the okay. Tempranillo family and and um, um, very uh, very drying in the mouth okay uh, medium that, plus acidity, acidity yeah. and and really uh, the tannins really held on yeah long-lasting tannins okay great um, uh, John, you want to jump in here? We, we, I think we, we need to, I guess, speed up a little bit uh, bef before uh, we do the reveal in about um, 20 minutes or so. So, um, 
Yeah. Go ahead, John. Uh, I thought this was the lightest body color of all the wines, um, but I got a note. And is body color always tied to structure or other components in the wine? How much can we derive uh, from body color? It can be. Color? It's just you know the first yeah. thing you look at, and sure. you know if it's going to be uh, just big in, in the mouth or, or not. But yeah. um, I thought it was interesting, like Moxie said right off the bat. Yeah. But I got a note of mineral in there, maybe some, some charcoal or some granite, yeah. uh, which I thought was very interesting. So cool. I don't, know, I don't know where this wine's from. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, what, what were your impressions? Pretty different, right? From the, the it was. I thought this was the most full-bodied of all the wines that we tried today. Okay, all right. Um, in terms of tannin, in terms of alcohol, definitely in just, terms yeah. of tannin, um, and in terms of the use of their oak. Okay, so more um, oak, and you, did you feel like a, a big steak with that? Uh, you know, or, yes, or, or very full-bodied food? Some, you know, some red meat. Yeah, some nice okay. braised red meat. Um, and it had an interesting nose on it too, kind of a sugary mm, nose. Okay. Um, so I think it's either a blend. Okay. I, I do think it's from Texas. Okay. All right. Chris, any uh, 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 impressions? I, the first thing on the palate that struck me was the acid. Uh, the acid was definitely a little bit brighter, a little bit more elevated than the first wine. Yeah. Uh, Body-wise, it was right there in the middle, uh, you know, medium. Uh, it kind of was a little I mean, the the acid was a little high elevated for me okay so uh, so that was almost a, a mark against it, it, it yeah it, i don't want to go as far as saying it's out of balance by any means but it right. was definitely elevated and and definitely caught my attention uh, okay. immediately cool and so then then i mean does that where does that point you then to does that bring you to the old world uh it, yes uh, in a lot of ways and i agree with john and and mox uh, about the the color making me think it's definitely a thinner skinned varietal. Okay, cool. Uh, and it definitely didn't All right. sound like Nebula. Tempranillo seems like a possible, a good possible guess. Right. Okay, cool. Jesse, what do you think? On the visual assessment, it also seemed a bit cloudy to me. That led me to think it was unfiltered. And so it did sort of have an interesting texture to it. I did feel like it was old world in style. I'm having trouble discerning from where, but there was also a little bit of a funky layer in there yeah. that sort of um, covered up the fruit condition, kind of making it difficult for me to assess the age. But there was lots of depth, and it was interesting. Yeah, yeah. Ron, what do you think? I, I think, you know, I, I share a lot of the things that have been said, but it seemed a, just a little bit hot, slight, you know, slightly high in alcohol to me. Okay, and so does that does that give you lend you any um, any uh, you know ideas as to where it might be from? I would tend to guess New World because New of World, that, yeah. Okay, um, well we are going to take a short break. Thank you so much for joining us. This is another bottle down on Co op Radio K O O P ninety one point seven FM and K O O P dot O R G. So we uh, we're going to come back with wine number three out of five and uh, and have a whole lot more fun. I'm enjoying this for the holidays, and I hope you're out there uh, getting gifts for your loved ones and having a good time. All right, stay tuned. Okay, we are back. This is kind of like herding cats here uh, in the studio. We're having uh, we're having a super fun time. Um, well, uh, great. Again, um, I'm joined live in the studio. We're having a great time talking about Texas wines and putting them up versus uh, wines from around the world. And this is our kind of holiday edition. Um, where we're going to be talking about kind of those those special wines that we you know we might uh, be thinking about uh, that might hit our gift giving uh, realm of capabilities. So uh, joined in the studio, Ron Weiss, uh, Jesse Brantley, Chris Howell, um, Shannon uh, Dixon, uh, Moxie Castro League, and John Gerber. Um, yeah, and feel free, guys, if you need to duck out and and uh, taste something uh, to get a little bit of a firmer mindset, then that that is totally cool. 
Um, Ron, can we talk, can I have you start us off with number three? This one, to me, was a little bit different in color. It was uh, much darker, kind of inky. The wine was big, rich, fruity. Um, yeah, I yeah. thought it was balanced. Yeah, so, so, you know, and I think through this conversation, we're, we're, we're kind of trying, tasting blind is an incredibly difficult uh, act, and you're trying to derive certain information from every sensory side uh, uh, and every, every uh, clue that you could be sensing, and sight is certainly an easy one as far as, you know, is it dense? Does it, is that meaning that it's a warm uh, weather grape? Is it, certain grapes have different, you know, density and different tendencies for color and then in the mouth and, and, and aromas, certain varieties have uh, a propensity to have certain kind of characteristics. So um, it takes a ton of practice. And um, I think that in today's day and age, you know, wines are just not fitting some of the same molds too. that there's being very modern wine made in the old world, etc. So, um, so, so anyway, th th this is a very, very difficult uh, exercise. So uh, keep that in mind. Jesse, what do you, what do you think? I enjoyed this wine. I found it very balanced. The fruit condition was lovely. It was bright red cherry, very red fruit driven. Um, there was some soft spice there, a little bit of that nutmeg and cinnamon, um, but the acidity was there. It was pretty, pretty much medium across the board structurally. Um, I enjoyed this wine, and I think it might be from Texas. Okay, there, there we have Jesse's. I'm writing this down. Jesse votes for this wine being from Texas. <laughs> Let me get you on. Yeah, so, okay, cool. So there, there's a few people seconding that. Um, Chris, what, what do you think? Uh, for me, you know, the first thing that struck me, other than color being a, a lot more uh, in the purplish uh shade was the the perfume of the nose yeah, uh, it was that jumped out to me too yeah super floral uh especially sticking my nose back in the second time i was getting a lot of you know purple flowers and it, it really struck me which was uh, delicious uh, for you oh yeah yeah, uh, yeah. it was right. definitely after the the prior wine it was a market change uh and it, I thought overall it was a well-balanced, beautifully made wine. Yeah, so we went from this kind of real rustic character to this just, you know, really, really fruit forward. Where does that put you in the world? Uh, it's hard. You know, you mentioned, you know, tasting blind. It's hard not to get ahead of yourself when you're going yeah. through things and not to let one aspect lead you down too, you know, too far and start making assumptions. Uh, and just you mentioning Washington State earlier, and I was like, what? This, this one could possibly be Washington State. Right. Uh, and, and it's, you know, it's the hardest thing probably about blind tasting is trying to make sure that you don't come to any preconceived notions before you go through the process. Right, to have all the facts in front of you and then all of those facts are leading to one conclusion, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, very difficult task. Shannon, what, 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 let me have you jump in here. This one I'm looking forward to going and revisiting very soon. This was, was my favorite. Okay, we've got 30 minutes. So, <laughs> um, I thought it was very, very elegant. Um, I think it's a Syrah from Rhone. Okay, all right, a Rhone Valley Syrah. Okay. Um, Moxie, what do you think? Did you enjoy this wine? I did enjoy the wine. Uh, I thought it was very smooth, balanced. Uh, the characteristics, uh, along with Jesse, the red fruits really jumped out for me. Um, and the red in the glass, a little more uh, dense. And the way it sits in the glass, the way it sits against uh, the meniscus. Alcohol, medium. Yeah. Um, very mild tannins. Um, integrated, but not really present there. The, the, the acid drives the the glass more than uh, lasting tannins and um, the balance I thought was really nice. You definitely get some of the Chinese baking spices in there. Mm. And, uh, kind of the allspice and the nutmeg and the 
uh, star of anise kind of thing going on, which is nice. It doesn't overwhelm it, but it, it feels very integrated. It feels like the type of wine you could take anywhere. Right. A lot of different people it might find something anybody, nice. Right. Yeah. It. Yeah. And I think we're in the new world, but I'm not certain about the location. Okay. Cool. Thanks, Moxie. John, what what, what do you think? Uh, this wine makes me think of the holidays, and I brought some aromas around that reminded me of uh, some Swedish in-laws. Okay. That always have uh, the glue wine or the wassail on the stove. Yeah. You know, it just smells, you get clove. I, I picked out some rosemary. Uh, I got like coriander and celery in there. It was uh, very, very herbaceous for me. Yeah. Um, so I thought it was fantastic. And I would, very spicy. Spice box. For spice sure. box, yeah. yeah. What, what would, uh, guys, what would you serve with this wine? I mean, that, that spice, that fruit, that floral component, does it, does it scream for anything in particular or just good conversation and good company, right? Uh, I'd go for lamb. Yeah. Okay, I love it. Um, great. Well, let's let's uh, move on. We're trucking along here. Um, if you're just tuning in, uh, this is another bottle down radio on Co-op Radio, and we're we're talking about uh, holiday wines. What are those? Um, what are those special wines? What are uh, and how is Texas? Um, and I should say that one of my uh, top wines that I tasted all year in te- from Texas is up in this lineup. So um, we are having fun talking about the wines, and then in about 15 minutes, we'll do the reveal so um uh how about who wants to start us off for wine number four did anybody really like this wine <laughs> toughest wine for me toughest wine for you you jump on the mic here uh, just, you know, a few notes, as I said, uh, coming in uh, to the tasting, uh, a little late tasting through once. Uh, the nose for me was hidden, but I was very intrigued by it. So mm-hmm. I kept smelling uh, longer than I normally would in the glass. Um, the fruit seemed a little bit muted, a little bit hidden. Okay. Uh, and then when he got into the taste, uh, there was kind of a medium acid. Um, he was a little different on the meniscus, so I thought, you know, what climate are we in? So yeah. um, maybe again, thinner skinned. And again, I, I noticed some baking, baking spices. Uh-huh. Uh, here, so I was intrigued and, and liked the wine, but I kept finding myself wanting to go back to it over and over again. Um, and so that quite intriguing a character is in, is in kind of like an alluring thing? Or yeah, was alluring it, uh, yeah. with a, the baking spices and kind of the confluence of flavors. Yeah. Uh, just kind of examining, you know, what is the nose and the, and the, the palate? Uh, are, they, are they in harmony? Um, but I think that the, the, the tannins here, the grip, were the thing that really stayed with me yeah very very long finish and, cool and persistent tins across the across okay the john what do you think uh again consistent with with what moxie says uh she has the best palate that i know so if i just glom onto that i yeah. look pretty good <laughs> but uh, uh, a theme i've noticed today is a lot of lavender that i'm picking up and i did uh, in this one as well really firm tannins but i also got a really nice uh, pop of uh, violets and yeah. I just tasted what I think the color purple tastes like. So. <laughs> um, I'm going to vote Shatnuff to pop on this one. Okay, that's that's just my guess. Okay, interesting, guys. What Shannon? What did, what did, what were your impressions? Uh, this wine wine was very tangy to me. Um, okay, really spicy. Yeah, really, really uh, very tannic. Okay, it's very dry. I think this one is from Texas. All right. Okay, um, Chris. What what uh, what do you think? Uh, for me, this was a really bright wine compared to yeah. the prior wine. Uh, you know, the last wine was a little inky, and this one really kind of popped. Uh, I got a lot riper fruit uh, quality on this. Uh, definitely more the plum, and then I got a very heavy, like licorice anise uh, flavor. Yeah, yeah, cool. Jesse, what do you think? I found this wine very interesting. It seemed to be um, the most aged wine. There was a little bit of a brickish red color with a subtle orange hue on the rim. And it had this sort of fruitcake quality. The fruit seemed to be more dried and mixed with all that spice. It certainly made me think of Christmas. And a little bit of licorice, 
specifically Twizzler. I okay. It was red licorice. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think licorice on this was a really good call. Yeah, yeah and, and the, the sort of tanginess that Shannon mentioned makes me think of tamarind, which I often associate with Texas wines. So mm. I think this might be a Texas wine with a little bit of age on it. Okay, okay. Did you find it enjoyable? I did. It was yeah. interesting. Okay. Lots of layers to come through. Okay, cool. Ron, what do you think? It was one of my favorite wines also. Uh, I got the bright, rich fruit, long finish, uh, liked the color of it. And I think one reason why it's becoming more difficult for me to pinpoint the varietal and where it, and where it's grown is because and I don't know if it's okay to say climate change. Uh, it's okay to but, say uh, that. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I've talked to some winemakers from uh, France who say, you know, that it, it's definitely they're having warmer growing seasons than they used to. So that changes. Um, yeah. You know, instead of maybe twelve and a half percent alcohol. A lot of times where it used to be, they're up, you know, 13 and a half, closer to 14 there also. So that's kind of leveling the playing field, I think, a little bit. I had an incredible conversation and actually recording with Sergio Quadra, who's the winemaker of Fall Creek, um, about uh, certain genes that are triggered in in uh, the grapevine when it's in a very hot climate. But you're going to have to wait until 2017 to hear that interview. And you can hear it here at Co-op Radio, K-O-O-P, Hornsby, Austin. Um, but I agree. I mean, the, the, this, this, it's, it's so hard to, the way the world is changing. I mean, we're seeing 15 points alcohol coming from Bordeaux and we're seeing, you know, so many changes to the, to the, to the climate, uh, the way that wine is made and grapes are grown. So really hard to, to, to say. Okay. Well, we're on to our last wine before we do the reveal. Um, who wants to start us off? Jesse, you want to start us off here? Sure. Um, this wine had a little subtle layer of funk, a little bit of maybe Britannomyces, but once you dig beneath that uh, sweaty saddle, um, to me, it took me to Italy. I found some cured meat aromas in there, some uh, balsamic, but mostly red fruit driven. It was medium body across the board. Uh, actually, I found the tannin medium plus, so it took me away from Nebbiolo and so did the density of the color. I think this might be a Chianti Classico Reserva, so mm. I think there was probably a little bit of time on it as well. Um, it was interesting. Okay. <laughs> interesting in a good or bad way. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, Chris, what do you think? Uh, I enjoyed this wine, actually. Uh, for me, the first thing that struck me on the palate was uh, definitely savory notes. It was, I think, the most savory of all, all the wines tasted today. Uh, there's yeah. fruit there, but it, you know, the fruit was definitely um, in check with all the other non-fruit uh, indicators. Uh, there's herbaceousness to it. It's dark. It kind of uh, just rustic yeah. uh, characteristic to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So does that point you to a particular region or grape variety or just hard to say? Um, it definitely make, leads me to think old world. It yeah. definitely isn't in the, the, you know, didn't remind me of Napa or Sonoma in any sure. real way, but it wouldn't surprise me with yeah. the international, you know, winemakers going all over the world making, you know, wines of their home country. Uh, I would definitely have to agree with Jesse. Italy would seem like a very uh, safe place to call this home. Cool. All right. Uh, Great. Shannon, what do you think on, on this uh, wine number five? And if you want to see what the wines actually are, koop.org slash blog. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, wine number five was pretty complicated. Yeah, Had okay. a lot going on in the glass. Um, it was very intense. I thought it was definitely an aged wine. Um, very rustic, yeah. kind of stewed fruits, pruny, dried bay leaf. Yeah. So does that point you to newer old world? Um, I want to say it's uh, southern Italy. Okay, southern Italy. 
Maxi, what do you think? Well, the first thing I thought here was um, it's the wine that reminds me of a scotch. I think I was saying it reminds yeah, me yeah. of Islay scotch. You yeah. know, it's that um, flavor. I also got a little bit of Brett in the nose in the beginning. Then when you dig in, it's layered and complex yeah. and really interesting flavor, flavors that continue to come back as you taste the wine. Yeah. Um, so absolutely, for me, it was old world France or Italy mm-hmm. um, with a little bit of age. But just the rusticity and the savory notes yeah. and the, how they're layered in the, in the wine to me was... Um, really intriguing and, and would be a thumbs up for, but uh, this wine I wouldn't share with everyone because I think those flavors could be off-putting to someone who was right. new to wine or felt like it might be a flaw. But for right. me, it's um, an interesting part and, and intriguing and, and a yes. You think wine. it would be a little bit more uh, uh, digestible uh, if, if, if you had food with it? Was it, would, yeah, would that absolutely. change things up? Yeah. yeah. I think the acids and the, the kind of the, the, the complex character of the fruit yeah. would reach out for food. But I think also, you know, when I go out to a restaurant, I don't always go for a, a whole hog or whole pig or depending right, on who I'm right, with. Right. And this wine would be something like that. I would love to have that in a meal like that that's prepared. Yeah. But maybe not with every member of my family. Sure, sure. John, what what um, what, uh, what do you think? I think this wine has great personality. And you can read into that. <laughs> um, I think it's from Texas. I get a lot of alcohol, a lot of uh, sort of a Brett funk, like everyone I think. Yeah, degrees. A lot of dried fruit. Um, yeah, it needs a lot of the, the right kind of food, I think. Yeah, okay. All right. I vote Texas. Okay. Ron, uh, top us off here before we do the reveal. Well, I don't want to repeat a lot, but uh, I, <laughs> I thought it was complex, balanced, and a long finish. I got that same berry fruit flavor. Yeah. Uh, I liked it, actually. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, well, so thank you guys for all of your comments. We've gone through uh, the five wines. I, I don't think that there were any dogs in the, in the bunch, right? I mean, uh, it was, it was, there was, and I think that Texas wine overall showed, showed really well. Uh, but I, I do have to leave you in suspense before we actually do the reveal. Uh, I've done up a little bit of an editorial uh, thing that I want to start folding into our repertoire here at Another Bottle Down. Um, so uh, listen to these words, uh, a little bit of gift-giving uh, kind of uh, comments that I've uh, developed over the years. And uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back to do the reveal. When it comes to purchasing wine as holiday gifts for bosses, coworkers, and loved ones, I'd like to lend a few thoughts compiled from years of working collectively in the retail world as a broker, a distributor, and a winemaker. I've always been a staunch proponent of there existing an element of surprise in the act of gift giving, and every year I see nervous souls perusing the shelves for the perfect gifts to impress their bosses and clients, as well as please their loved ones, who are impossible to gift anything. Thank goodness we have wine, right? So what's the best wine for a wine lover or the person who has everything? Well, there's a few questions to ask. First, will champagne do the trick? Champagne is one of the most hedonistic beverages with so many styles that would please any wine drinker. Every time I open a gift, I hope it is champagne. My picks for this holiday season, for the lover of opulent, bold, and rich flavors, the Duval-Lois Brutnon Vintage, and for the person who appreciates more delicate flavors and ethereal floral notes, the Perrier Jouet. For laser focus and incredible acidity, I love Jean Laurent Blanc de Blanc. De Blanc. If you want a champagne to give alongside a whole salami, a three-pound white truffle, plus a perfectly seared foie gras, the Peyu Simonet Blanc de Noir 2010, if you can find it. By the way, who's getting this, and why is it not me? Even if you don't like champagne, there's always a reason to have a bottle ready, so there you have it, folks. Well, but my boss only drinks Silver Oak or Camus. 
First of all, I guarantee your boss doesn't only drink these wines. But in answering this question, I start by reminding you of the scene in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, where Clark's boss receives countless gifts of the same shape and size. Put it over there with the rest of them, snaps Frank Shirley. Maybe at some function, at some time, he showed some enjoyment for an L-shaped object. And now it haunts him as it embodies every employee's safe bet for a gift. I'm sure every boss has ordered some of the usual suspects of California cabs during corporate dinners or those splurge moments, and these prominent brands are easily found on the tip of the tongue. Oddly enough, that does help sell wine. Put it over there with the rest of them, those silver oak-shaped bottles collect on the back table. How about this year, take a different approach. Be open to something unique. I know you have to be wary of some scams in wine, but there are a few questions to ask the wine steward present that will put you in the control seat. Where's this wine from? And not just Napa or Sonoma or Bordeaux or wherever, but this wine should be from a place that is unique and deserving of being preserved in a bottle. And is there a person that actually made this wine? There's a lot of pride in making wine, and if someone puts their name on it or behind it, that pulls some weight. Follow these two simple rules, and you'll have a surefire, heartfelt gift. I want my boss to know that the wine is expensive. I never understood this logic. Say she or he received a bottle of a known high price, and it is pleasing to be gifted such a thing, for sure. But say a boss or loved one receives a bottle of an own unknown price, and in today's connected world, that price could be discovered with two strokes of the finger. But there's a curiosity to something deeper in this case. What made this wine worthy of the gift? Was there thought that links such a wine to something that could be more thoroughly enjoyed by the recipient? Could this wine be a new discovery? Could this wine be a new discovery? And that is the essence of gift giving, folks. Happy gift giving and happy holidays from your friends at Another Bottle Down. All right, we are back. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is Co-op Radio, K-O-O-P, Hornsby, Austin, 91.7 FM, and koop.org. Uh, I'm joined in the studio by a, a group of wonderful guests. Thank you guys for being here and, uh, and partaking in this little experiment we call, uh, you know, the wine industry. <laughs> I'm joined here by Ron Weiss, Jesse Brantley, Chris Howell, uh, Shannon Dixon, Moxie Castro League, and John Gerber, um, guys who have, you know, have, have really tons of experience in the wine industry. Are you ready for the reveal? Yes. Yes. So ready. <laughs> okay, so, um, you know, you might have been following along at koop.org, and I've posted a picture of the wines, uh, and I've been trying to take a little bit of notes here as, as, as we're kind of wrapping this, this up. Uh, so, you know, wine number one, I think that um, folks were really into kind of the spicy character, um, maybe the youthfulness, maybe, you know, nice... Uh, fruit and whatnot, and that was um, a Tempranillo. It was the top-scoring Tempranillo in the in the Texas Wine Journal's uh, Tempranillo tasting, and that is uh, produced by Rivenberg, uh, John Rivenberg, uh, who um, started his own label under his 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 name. So that's the Rivenberg Tempranillo. Um, cool, interesting, right, guys? What do you think about that? What was the vintage on that, Mark? Oh, let me look at the picture. I don't know. <laughs> we're going to have to. That's yeah. great vintage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was it? 13. Yeah, 2013 on the Rivenberg Tempranillo. 
Uh, wine number two, and uh, you know, I think that we were we were talking a lighter, a little bit lighter skin, but also some some comments were that uh, there were really um, you know firm tannins, and again, a lot of spice. Uh, and this was a 2013 uh, Chateau de Beaucastel in Chateauneuf du Pape. So that that I think was a, a surprise um, to to all of us in the room. <laughs> Um, and uh, yeah, so that is Southern Rhone, Chateauneuf du Pape, uh, and and uh, sh- and uh, Chateau de Beaucastel is known for um, you know a higher proportion of Morved, uh, even a an, even a more rustic character. Okay, really interesting there. Um, number three, wine number three is. Um, uh, from Washington State, uh, Chris, I think uh, nailed that. Maybe, maybe, maybe it was the power of suggestion that. Um, but, but, uh, in, very correct. It was from Washington State. It was the Quill Cedar Creek red wine, um, and which is you know one of the iconic uh, wines from Washington State. So, um, so that that I think was very interesting too, and it showed that you know the the, the tons of really uh, uh, floral quality and uh, and that is coming I believe almost all from Red Mountain. Uh, you know we can talk a little bit more about the wines and your impressions in just a second here. Okay, wine number four. Uh, this was my top pick for uh, my favorite Texas wine of the year. So number four was Texas. Uh, it was by Spicewood Springs, uh, and his kind of his his. Uh, I'm sorry. Vineyards. Spicewood Vineyards, I'm sorry, um, and he named this wine the Good Guy, uh, and that's kind of like his top blend, uh, which in, is a Tempranillo uh, Graciano. Um, I think that there is some Cab um, and Merlot. Okay, I'm being whispered uh, in in my ear by the the real knowledgeable person in the room. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then wine number five is. Um, Marques de Riscal, which is from the Rioja region and of Spain. I think everybody was kind of getting the this uh, this aspect of old world and this kind of rusticity. And I think that that we just weren't thinking about Rioja, but it it, it makes a lot of sense because uh, this was a Gran Reserva, 2005. <coughs> Uh, Gran Reserva, at which um, you know spends a lot of a lot more time in barrel, and then you get more of that funk. So. Interesting lineup, guys. I'd like to, you know, just have a, a you know, a few few minute discussion about um, about you know what what were your overall impressions. I mean, tasting. We've tasted two Texas wines blind, um, and you know, and these are some of the cream of the crop, um, and uh, and put them up against some pretty iconic wines around the world. Um, Chris, your 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 eyes are like wide open, and your mouth is on the ground. What what do you think? What are your impressions? I, this uh, it's been definitely a surprise. The other uh, tasting uh, and we've tasted with master psalms and had to do blinds with them and this was as hard yeah uh, to try to figure out as any lineup i think i've ever been through cool yeah uh, how, how do you i mean impressions of, the, of how the texas wines fared up i mean and, and and you know we kind of want to bring the conversation also away from just like is it hard to get it as opposed you know as opposed to you know what is enjoyable in the wines and you know did they strike you as being enjoyable the, yeah it, definitely they were amongst the my favorites, if yeah. not my favorite, uh, and cool. it doesn't surprise me. But it, yeah, in a way, with the other wines in the lineup, it kind of does. It <laughs> just and that's why it's so important to be able to blind these wines. I mean, when you're right. going up against Bocassel and uh, you know Riscal. Yeah, uh, to right. have these wines go toe to toe and and be your favorites. Uh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, pleasant surprise. Yeah. Anybody else want to jump in with their impressions? Ron, what do you think? I'll just. I'd like to say something about Texas wines in general, and I think it's true about 
why these wines fared so well. Uh, you know, I can remember in the early days in Texas, uh, in Texas, where the, um, people were planning my, my, mainly Cabernet and mm-hmm. Chardonnay, yeah. and you know, when you match those against Cabernets from either the New World or the Old World, they didn't stack up so well. But now right. that they're planting Tempranillo and Sangiovese and and some of the grapes that that do better in our climate. Um, they just seem to show really well. I'm really excited about what's happening in Texas. Right yeah, now. yeah, yeah. Awesome. Um, Jesse, what, what, what do you think? I really enjoyed number four, and I'm excited that it was a Texas wine because it was so interesting. Yeah. I mean, really, it was a contemplative wine, not to just be sipped on the patio, but to be, you know, sit by the fire and really think about it. Yeah, what's yeah. Happening. You know, we, I had Ron Yates um, in the studio, and, and we talked a little bit about this wine, and um, he was really excited about uh, the component that he puts in this of the Graciano, which is a grape that is found in the Rioja as a, as a blending grape, um, and he thought that that was really suited to Texas, and he was really excited that he is able to put that in this blend. So, um, yeah, if, Ron, if you're listening out there, good job. <laughs> Uh, Shannon, what you, so now you, you know, at Republic, you're, you're kind of in your portfolio, in your wheelhouse is a lot of the uh, Texas wines, right? Did this give so you a I boost of confidence? Of yeah. All the time. <laughs> um, and it's definitely a trending category for us right now, especially in Austin. Yeah. I think that Austin is doing better than the rest of the state as far as Texas sales. Right. So okay. All right. It's awesome. We're keeping it local. Yeah. And, and your impressions? This was very challenging. Yeah. Um, and I'm really pleased that wine number one was a Texas wine. Okay, that was your favorite? Or one of your favorites? <laughs> it wasn't one of my favorites, but as soon as I found out it was a Texas wine, it made it that much more interesting to Okay, me. cool. Well, I think we're going to have a real fun time uh, also tasting after once, uh, you know, now that we have the reveal. Moxie, what, what do you think? Impressions? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just, I just always love um, the humbling nature of blind tasting. Yes, so it's, it's awesome to be in the room with so much knowledge. And I think the one that was the hardest for me was four. So I'd love to open that bottle and taste it again. And it's great yeah. that it's Spicewood Vineyards. And um, what we do in blind tasting is to keep ourselves open and yes. mind open. And um, that's a nice thing that we've done today. And hopefully everybody, as they taste through, will just continue to taste Texas and all of the wine and just evaluate it for what it is. Right, right, right. Now, do you think, um, you know, do you think that Austin is more open to... Uh, Texas wines and, and anybody chime in here uh, because we're a little bit more open to experimentation or do you think it's kind of our position at the gateway to the hill country um, you know I, I think that you know in your portfolio with glaciers uh, southern glaciers you probably see more Texas wine sold you know here than maybe Houston or Dallas I don't I don't know if you have an impression or you know trends on that um, I don't yeah. know, for me, I mean, we're all about uh, maker studios and local, and we have this kind of Texas, or I would say nationalistic culture. I mean, we're almost like a nation, and we yeah, have that, yeah. that view in Austin that we want to support something local, handmade, right. and quality-made if we can. Yeah. Um, not that the other things are, are, are not quality also, so it's nice to be open to new things. Yeah, wonderful. John, final impressions? Thanks for, uh, and, and big thank you to Southern Glaciers for, um, you know, uh, providing the wines for, of course, for today. Of course, of yeah. course. Uh, that's what we do, and education's a big part of our job. So, Absolutely, cool. Uh, we're always happy. But I want to say thank you for having me back. It's yeah. always a good time. Uh, Anytime, John. Last time I was here, I guessed four of six correctly, and I was really <laughs> proud of myself, but today I got none right. Oh, no. <laughs> so I'm, I'm kind of mad at me and you a little bit. I don't mind telling you, but uh, really cool. tough tasting today. Um, but I really enjoyed it. And yeah. I had three and five as the Texas wines, and I was 
way off, yeah. which is a good thing. That, that is, it's always, and, and Moxie, like you say, it's always great to be humbled. Um, any final thoughts before I bring Daniel Collada in here to talk about a few more things uh, that the Texas Wine Journal has going on? Thank you guys for being here, and happy holidays to you all. I know um, folks listening out there might not understand the, the sacrifice it takes to pull yourselves away off the off the road and off the the floor, and and, and you know and and you know uh, working with your customers this time of year. I mean, it's like a three full time job. So thank you for coming into the studio um, to do this with us. Uh, Daniel, welcome to the show again. Um, you know, the Texas Wine Journal has been a, a great part of this show. Um, and I really, you know, thank you for that. We've had an amazing 2016, I think. Um, uh, on this show, we've seen a, a lot of growth and success. And, and uh, thank you for being a part of it. Hey, thanks for having me. But it, I, I'm kind of just a little cog in the wheel. I think the panel and the producers that submit really deserve the biggest thanks. So thank you to you guys for showing up to the show and and for the producers that submit wines, because my job is really just to parlay that submission into some value for the industry and hopefully that's through awareness and hopefully it's through education and through transparent feedback so yeah i mean do you kind of echo this uh growth of the industry and forward direction i mean you see i mean you have your heart on or your finger on the pulse of the texas industry um maybe more than anybody else i mean are you just pumped to see better and better wines competing on this global scale i mean without a doubt consistency is key i think uh in terms of competing Within the state and then nationally and hopefully internationally, the what's exciting is is the tourism aspect, the fact that wineries are able to make product every year that they're able to sell their tasting room and continue to push that, you know, local wine tourism agenda that is unique to Texas. Yeah. Um, and that's exciting. And I think through that, it brings pe- new people to the region, which then creates a, you know, hopefully a, a push in the, in the broader market. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So what does the, um, what does the journal have going on moving into 2017? Ah, uh, wow. Okay. Um, and we should say it's Texas, it's texaswinejournal.org. Yes. And, and, and you can see maybe all of the results of the, um, of the Texas tastings. Yeah. So we are actually in the middle of a, of a website update. And so we haven't published ratings since August. Uh, and so once we're kind of f- through this website revision, we'll publish results for Viognier, Roussan, Syrah, Tempranillo. Uh, and then in 2017, we'll kick off again with uh, Cabernet Sauvignon as a category. Uh, but in 2017, we're, we're looking to expand the value that we add to the industry and the value that we provide to producers for their submission. So this radio show being a big part of that, but also the collaboration that we have with Whole Foods Market and Culture Map to do the Texas Wine Talk and Tasting Roadshow. Yeah, so uh, when is that? So there's one coming up in February, right? Yeah. Yeah, so the the it'll kick off again in February, and the schedules are are being worked on as we speak. So that will come out, and and hopefully people will register. But it's a great way to meet producers, taste great wines, and a kind of a blind lead tasting. Right. Uh, and then also through a reception at the end of the tasting, it's a great way to meet producers, meet other guests, and, and just you know share in what the region is doing because. There's a lot of great things that are happening that either get to market or don't get to market. And right. and really the fact is, is that the best wines in any region around the world are at the winery. So you got to go visit wineries. <laughs> um, can I ask you your favorite Texas wine of the year? <laughs> 
Or, or is that no? It, it, there could be that that, that might be a, a, a conflict of interest, maybe. So I'm going to let you off the hook. Here. All right, thank you. Okay. <laughs> thank you so much, guys, for tuning in. Next week we're going to be talking about champagne because that is um, uh, a, another big holiday with a lot of uh, bubbles on everybody's mind. Um, I will be joined in the studio by um, other wonderful wine professionals in the Austin area. So thank you so much for tuning in. Um, if you've missed any part of this show or any previous show, you can access the archive at uh, koop.org slash another bottle down. There will be a link to the archive and uh, check out all of our photos on Facebook, facebook.com slash another bottle down. Uh, we're going to pass off the reins to Tracy Schultz and remix a wonderful show he has in store for you. But I want to uh, first remind listeners that support for co-op comes from Link and Pin Gallery, an artist-led space that offers the community an environment to discover local art. The gallery is located at 2235 East 6th Street, Suite 102. And for more information is available at linkpinart.com. Uh, have a wonderful week, folks. And, uh, and you know, line up your, your delicious holiday wines and enjoy them with your family and friends. So till next week, uh, I will see you later.